Well, good evening, Oakley Baptist Church. It is a great opportunity to spend another evening of Bible study with you. I'm so excited about the book of Esther and what I have been learning. And uh, man, tonight is another one of those Bible lessons that has just taught me more about the culture and about the Word of God and about how God works in interesting ways. Again, the book of Esther being the providence of God, how God can intervene and provide. And, you know, it is amazing to see God work. Well, tonight, before we get into the Bible lesson, let's go ahead and take a moment and let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we come before you tonight and we just praise you. And we just come before you with thankful hearts and we, uh, we just uh, come to your throne and we ask that you speak to us. As we study your word tonight, I pray that you'll move in our hearts and in our minds I pray that you'll uh, bring to our attention the things from scriptures that you would have us to know. I pray that the Spirit of God would have the freedom to work in our hearts and in our minds, that he would allow us to be drawn to things that may need to change in our life to help us to become a better servant for you. God, thank you for loving us right where we're at. God, it's so good to know that you didn't expect me to make all kinds of changes in my life before you'd accept me but you accepted me as a sinner and you saved me. Thank you so much for that. Thank you for the privilege to have your, your word, the privilege to teach God's people. And Father, I pray that tonight you would just work in us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we do every week when we start our study, the book of Esther. So we're going to start with our uh, are naming off the books of the Bible to get to Esther to refresh our memory and to help us to become stronger in that. So let's start with Genesis. You ready? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah, and then Esther. Now Esther is a great little book as we've been studying it for weeks and weeks and weeks now. Uh, we have found more information and, and, and more insight to the culture and to what was going on in that area uh, of Persia at this time. Uh, just been a wealth of information. And last week we left off with Haman's plot to kill Mordecai. As we studied last week, let me refresh your memory a little bit. Uh, Haman uh, had went home and, and talked to his wife and friends and they said, hey, build a gallows. And we talked about the gallows being a big pole that sat in the air and they would impale people on that pole. Uh, over time, their body would just weigh down over that pole and basically just impale them up through the center of their body. And uh, they would die a slow and agonizing death. And all this was because Haman was jealous and he was prideful because Mordecai would not bow to him and treat him like deity. Now, we look here in Scripture and we see here that we pick up in chapter 6. So let's do this. Let's turn to chapter 6, get your copy of God's Word, and let's find Esther, and let's look at chapter 6 and verse 1. The Bible says here, And on that night could not the king sleep? And he commanded to bring the book of the records of the Chronicles, and they were read before the king. And it was found written that Mordecai had told of Bagthan and Teresh, two of the king's chamberlains, the keepers of the doors, who sought to lay hands on the king Ahasuerus. And the king said, What honor and dignity hath been done to Mordecai for this? Then said the king's servants that minister unto him, There is nothing done for him. 
And the king said, Who's in the court? Now Haman was come into the outward court of the king's house to speak unto the king to hang Mordecai on the gallows that he had prepared for him. And the king's servant said unto him, Behold, Haman standeth at the court. And the king said, Let him come in. So Haman came in, and the king said unto him, What shall be done to the man whom the king delighteth to honor? And now Haman thought in his heart, To whom would the king delight to do honor more than to myself? So let's go ahead and let's dive into verse 1 here as we continue to study. The Bible says here, On that night... so. I want you to picture in your mind that Esther has the banquet. Uh, she goes, now remember, let, let me. she goes to the king, he lifts the scepter, and she is able to pre, uh, present herself to the king. She says she wants uh, Haman and the king to come to a banquet she's prepared that night. So he sends messenger to Haman, Haman comes, they go to the banquet with Esther. In the portion of the, of the process here of Esther's banquet, the king recalls and, and asks Esther, hey, what, what is it that you want? You, you wanted something from me. Uh, I'll give you up to half the kingdom. And we studied all this. And she says, listen, uh, she kind of got hesitant here. And she says, listen, I, I want to prepare another banquet tomorrow night. And tomorrow night, I'll, I'll make my request known to you. So the king and Haman go their ways. Haman goes home. He talks to his wife and friends. They tell him to, to, to build the gallows to impale Mordecai. The king goes back to his living quarters, and he is found right here in verse 1 in his living quarters that night. And on that night could not the king sleep. And he commanded to bring the book of records of the Chronicles, and they were read before the king. Now, I thought this was really interesting. If you read the historical documents that we find in the Targum, the Targum tells us that the king had a dream that night that alarmed him that he could not sleep. Now, I know the Targum, the, the targum is not the Scripture. The Scripture is the Word of God is infallible. It is true. It is preserved. And we have it for today's study. The Targum is just a, a, a historical document that we can reference to. And in the Targum, it tells us that the king had a bad dream and he couldn't sleep. So the king has this dream. He can't sleep. You say, well, Bill, what's the dream about? This is what the Targum says. The Targum says that the king had a dream that he was forewarned that someone was going to try to kill him, Haman. And in the process of this dream, the dream is, is recorded as to say that uh, he was told in his dream that Haman was going to come and ask to take the life of someone who had saved the king's life. And in the process of that, it was all a ruse because Haman really wanted the king dead. Now, he says, as you read the Targum and you, you see what's recorded, the king is told that Haman is going to ask for the horses, the king's horse and the king's uh, ornaments and the king's clothing. And all of this is a foretelled sign of what Haman's heart really is, and that is that Haman wanted to become king. So he wakes up from this dream, according to the Targum, and he can't sleep. In the process of not being able to sleep, we see in verse 1, he commands to bring the book of the records of the Chronicles, and they were read before the king. Now, in Eastern courts, it was not uncommon for uh, the 
scribes to be recording all kinds of things that were taking place, the judgments the kings was making, historical facts about what was going on. And, and this was all being done in the king's court area, and they were being recorded all the time. And the king could go back and review. He could ask his, his scribes to read to him what's being there. And I know you might be thinking, well, he had, in Scripture you see here, well, he couldn't sleep, so he wanted to have these things read to him out of boredom. Well, actually, if you do some studying, you'll find out through some research that these court documents many times weren't just guys sitting in there constantly writing uh, this, that, and the other. It's interesting to find out that uh, they would hire poets, and they would hire people that would take these chronicles, and they would put them in a script way where they kind of rhyme and there's a limerick to them. And many times they were written in such a way where they were very entertaining. So um, as we look at what happens and happened here in verse 1, we see that there's some information here that gives us a little bit broader and deeper understanding of what might have been going on in the king's mind as we read the story here in Esther 6. So as we continue to read, we see here that the reading of these scriptures, the reading or the reading of the, the uh, historical documents here, the chronicles of the king by the scribes and those that are in his court, uh, they weren't just merely to bore him to put him to sleep. They were, they were informational. They were instructional. They were, uh, as we see here, historically, the there's a really good chance they were right in a limerick-type fashion to almost be an entertaining-type opportunity. And these poets would make a lot of money uh, from the king and from, from his, his uh, historical recordings being written in such a way. Uh, these, these were very gifted writers that, that spent a great deal of time and painstakingly went through to make this, uh, these writings to be very, very helpful and not just a page after page of boredom. So, boy, I could have taught a whole lesson on that tonight. And we're going to go to verse 2 now. So, verse 2 says, And it was found written that Mordecai had told of Bigthana and Teresh, two of the king's chamberlains, the keepers of the doors, who sought to lay hands on the king Ahasuerus. Now, if we go back to our study previously in the book of Esther, we know that Mordecai informed Esther, Esther informed Ahasuerus, and Ahasuerus put Begthan and, um, and uh, Teresh to death because they wanted to kill the king. They wanted to do him harm. Now, here's, here's a, a piece of this puzzle. Uh, many believe that Haman was well aware of their plan and may have even been part of it, but they were the ones that got caught talking about it. Therefore, they were the ones who were put to death, and they did not uh, squeal on Haman. So um, it kind of makes a little bit of sense when you begin to think about it as you look at the historical documents. Now, I want you to consider that that in chapter 6 and verse 2, we see here, I want you to consider, what are the chances, what are the chances that the same night the king has this dream, the night after he had the banquet with Esther, in the, in the exact time in the kingdom of Persia where, more, uh, where Haman had enlisted this law through the king's blessing to have all the Jews killed, now, what, is the, what are the chances that at this time in all the history of Persia, the king couldn't sleep 
The king couldn't sleep. Do you, you want to talk about the providence of God working in a situation for His glory? Listen, this king ruled over 127 provinces. He ruled over all these people. He had all these riches. He had all these women. He had all this food. He had everything you could ever imagine, but he didn't have sleep. God kept him awake for a reason. Because God needed to send him a message. In the providence of God, King Ahasuerus can't sleep. He tells the scribes the, to, to begin to read to him the Chronicles. In the reading of the Chronicles, they begin to read this passage where Mordecai had thwarted a death threat on the king. Now, interestingly enough, in, in these particular uh, passages of Scripture you see here, that, that in God's providence he was kept awake. God did not grant him the gift of sleep that night. And God did it for a purpose. Now, I want you to consider, you say, Bill, I think that's, that's stretching it. Stretching it. What if we look at the book of Matthew chapter 6, verse 26 and on? We see that the Gospels record that God even cares for the birds. That even the lilies, God notices and pens in Scripture, that even the lilies are, great, are, are, are um, dressed, they, they, they are more beautiful and, and handsomely dressed than even a king could be, be dressed. And that is because of the providence of God and God providing. So when, when we think that God may not intervene or God does not intervene in in human history and humanity, I want you to understand that I believe the providence of God is in many times miraculous in how He works. We see here in this passage that in verse 3 the Bible says, And the king said, What honor and dignity hath been done to Mordecai for this? Then said the king's servants that ministered unto him, There is nothing done for him. Now I want you to understand that in in Persian culture, in these cultures, when someone did something for the king, or someone, uh, in this case, saved the king's life, their names would be added to a list of, of people that the king may need to do something for uh, to show thankfulness and, and to, to let them know that he appreciated what they did. So there's a good chance that Mordecai's name was on this list as one of these benefactors, and this list may have been part of the reading of the Chronicles that was being done here, and the king was reviewing all those who had done good for him, who had done things for him, and that he might need to uh, be a blessing to, to reward someone for the good that they had done to him. Now, in, if you look at the passage of Scripture here, it says, uh, what honor of dignity? It's something, uh, idea here is the dignity is that the king wants to be pleased with lifting up or elevating this person to show the gratitude that he has towards them. And he says here that, um, I want you to consider this, the king is hearing this, and whether it be because of the king's forgetfulness, uh, whether it be, um, boy, it could be that the people that the king had surrounded himself with knew that Mordecai was a Jew, and because of racial motivation, they did not want Mordecai to be blessed or recognized or rewarded for saving the king's life. Um, 
it may have been that this was just something that was overlooked. Um, it may have even been something as um, villainous as someone in the king's court may have just been contemptible and they were supposed to have done something for Mordecai and they didn't do it. It was never recorded that it was done. So we see here in verse 3, the king hears that he never did anything to reward Mordecai for saving his life. We see here in verse 4, And the king said, Who is in the court? Now Haman was come into the outward court of the king's house to speak unto the king to hang Mordecai on the gallows that were prepared for him. Now, I want you to understand, in the scriptures, we see that Mordecai, first thing, or, or Haman, first thing in the morning, comes to the king's court, and he is going to wait there to present himself. Now remember, you can't enter the king's presence without him asking you to come into the king's presence, or if you do, he has to lift his staff to grant you presence in his court. So Mordecai, or excuse me, Haman, is waiting outside the king's court in the vestibule area. He is waiting for the king to need someone. He is waiting for the opportunity for him to go in and talk to the king. And in the process of doing so, the king asks, who's standing in the court? Because he needed someone to take care of something for him. Now, if you look here, um, there is typically more than one person just in the court at a time. Normally, there's, there's two or more people out in that vestibule area uh, waiting for the king to be willing to take on some business for their opportunity to enter into the king's court itself. So Haman is standing out there waiting. There are probably other people out there waiting. But understand that that because Haman was like the second man in the kingdom, it would make perfect sense from the Persian culture that when they tell the king who is out in the king's court, they would always tell him the highest ranking official first. So we see here in verse 4, the king says, who is out in the king's court? It gives a little bit of commentary here at the end of the verse that, that Haman was out there because he had came early to be able to talk to the king so he could kill Mordecai that morning. And he's standing there waiting for his opportunity to enter the king's presence to, to ask him for this thing. And we see here in verse 5, the Bible says, And the king's servant said unto him, Behold, Haman standeth in the court. And the king said, Let him come in. Now, As Haman enters the king's court, I want you to consider that Haman is coming off of a night where he dined with the king and the queen. Let's set the picture here. Let's paint the picture. Let's, let's, let's give some, some strokes of, of story here. Haman had dinner, this banquet with the queen and the king, and that night the queen asked him, Personally, she asked him, not through a servant, not through someone else. Personally, she asked him to come back the next night and be part of another banquet. Personally, she told Haman and the king, tomorrow night I'll make my request to the king and I'm allowing Haman to be here for that request and to be part of it. Haman thinks 
He has arrived. In the process of this, his pride, he goes home as we studied in our last lesson. And he tells, he boasts about all that he has, but this Mordecai man will not bow to him, will not show him deity, respect, won't even show him common courtesy to stand up or move out of the way when he comes through in the room. We see now he enters the king's court with all this pride welled up within him, knowing his gallows are built. In his mind, he's thinking, man, I'm going to win it all today. My nemesis is going to be put to death. I'm going to go to dinner with the queen tonight and be treated like royalty. Man, I have arrived. I am there. As he goes into the king's court in verse 5, we see that he enters in. Verse 6. And this is the verse we'll finish this evening with. So Haman came in. Now, mind you, I just told you what the mentality, what the mindset of Haman is as he goes into the king. He says, what shall be done with a man? The king asks Haman, what shall be done with a man whom the king delighteth to honor? Now, Haman thought in his heart, to whom would the king delight to do honor more than to me? Oh, man. Haman's thinking, oh, the king is going to do something great for me today. This is awesome. As he's gonna, I'm gonna have, Mordecai's going to be dead. I'm going to eat with the king and the queen tonight. I'm coming in here to ask him for something. And he asks me, what, the king's asking, what can I do to make you look awesome, Haman? What can I do to, to, to delight in lifting you up and making you look great? Man, I'm telling you, Haman was, was at the top of the world here. In his mind, he thought it was all together. He thought he was the goose that lays the golden egg. We see here, first of all, the king did not give Haman time to make a request of Mordecai being put to death. The king went right to his own business. We see here that in this, uh, in this story, notice the king chooses to withhold the information that the person he was going to bestow honor to was Mordecai. He did not tell Haman who it was he wanted to, to bless, to, to reward, because he wanted Haman to be as honest as possible with his response. Haman thought in his heart, literally, when we see in this passage of Scripture that we see here, to whom would be the king's delight to do honor more than to myself. Look at what it says before that. Now Haman thought in his heart. This is to say that Haman, he said to himself, man, I'm the guy the king is going to bless and honor. Now, Think about this. He'd been advanced above all the princes, all the nobles. He had everything. I mean, he, the dinner with the queen and the king, the access to the king. The king gave him his own ring to enact a law for all the Jews in Persia to be killed. He had 208 children plus. He had wealth. He had a wife. He had friends. He had all of this stuff going for him. He thought that the king was yet going to give him even more honor. 
Folks, as we look in this passage of Scripture, we see that Haman had convinced himself that he was so good that nothing wrong could happen. Now listen, as we look in Scripture, I want to I stop in, for tonight at verse 6 and notice some, one particular truth in this passage of Scripture. There are things that we just don't know that God is doing. God has no reason to tell us what He's doing. We always need to be mindful as believers that God is always at work. Sometimes He's at work in our favor, and sometimes the work that He's doing causes us distress. But the fact of the matter is, whether favor or distressed, God is at work. I want you to consider Esther being forced into this place. I want you to consider Mordecai. And he's, his life is at risk. I want to look at Haman and thinks he's got the world. Thinks he has everything he could ever want. He's just continuing to be blessed and poured upon. And I know in our lives, so many times it's easy to look at the world and look at people who are ungodly and, and, and who are not just ungodly, but against God. And they seem to be making money and having success and driving cars and having houses and having uh, families. And they, it seems to be they have everything they could ever want. It's like, God, why do you continue to bless people who curse you, who don't want you? Listen, I want you to know God is at work even in that person's life. And it might be you're the one God is working in to minister and to reach to that person. I saw an interesting quote this past week. It's hard to have a burden to reach someone with Jesus Christ if we hate them. Folks, when we look at people and how God's blessed them and what's going on in their life and we despise them, it's going to be hard for us to have a heart compassionate that will reach out to them with the gospel of Jesus Christ because they need it. We, so many times in our humanity, we get discouraged and we, we, we have a pity party for ourselves. And man, look at what you're giving all these people. And God, look at me. I'm here struggling. Listen, folks, God is at work. You say, well, if God's at work, why am I struggling? Believer, I'm here to tell you. I want you to read the New Testament. Look at the disciples and the struggles they faced. Look at the Apostle Paul and his life. Look at Jesus Christ going to the cross. Look at Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Look at Daniel. Look at Noah. Look at Abraham. Look at Moses. Every one of these characters that we read about in Scripture that did great things for the cause of God faced struggle in their life. But it wasn't because God was absent. It was all because God was at work. As we look in this passage of Scripture and we see the torment that Esther and Mordecai and the Jews are facing, what a dark moment in Jewish history. What a dark moment in Esther and Mordecai's life. Probably none darker had ever happened or ever happened after that as this right here. 
And so many times it's easy for us to run to thinking that God is absent or nowhere to be found. But we are mistaken because God even works in the storm. God continues to work in it. And though it may be hard and though it may be uh, painful and though it may be difficult, God is at work and He is faithful and you must stay faithful and watch Him Deliver and work as he sees fit. And that deliverance may not be from what's struggling, uh, what you're struggling with and what's paining you. The deliverance may never come until the day that you step out into glory. But don't be mistaken, believer. God is always at work, even in the hardest times of life. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I thank you for our study tonight. Thank you for Jesus Christ and the cross of Calvary. Thank you for him saving us. And, and even in the, the, the hardest, most, from a human standpoint, the ugliest looking thing that could take place of a, of a human being being tortured and beaten and put on a cross and mocked and ridiculed. You were at work through all of it to save us. Jesus, thank you for taking the beatings and the cross and the death for us. God, thank you for sending Jesus Christ. God, I pray that tonight if there's someone watching this video that has never come to faith in Jesus Christ, that they would reach out to the church and, and talk to us, uh, go to our website, Father, and that they would reach out to us and tell us that they want to talk and counsel with somebody about how they can know God. Father, I pray I beg you, God, to continue to work. For those that are watching, Father, I pray that you would, you would encourage them if they're going through a hard time right now, that they'd be reassured that you are at work, even in the hardship. God, I pray that you will just continue to help us to be faithful to you. Thank you for your faithfulness and your love that never fails. God, I'm so sorry when we fail. But I thank you for continuing to love and work and grow us. Now, God, as we go our way this week, I pray that you would work in our hearts and in our minds. Help us to take what we're learning in the book of Esther to people around us that need it. Help us to encourage them with it. And help us to always look for that opportunity, Father, to tell somebody about Jesus and the salvation that the cross provides. Take us in peace. We pray all this in Jesus' precious name. And all God's people said, Amen. Thanks and have a great week.